record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. Well, welcome to On the Record. I'm Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. My guest this week is Dorothy Belshaw, Executive Vice President, Chief Marketing and Digital Officer for International Market Centers. That's quite a title. Do you fit that all That's on one card? Yeah. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, CMO works. Well, you know, it has to be an even bigger responsibility than it is a mouthful. That's a lot of things. And IMC has a lot of things going on. Just announced the, you know, the Juniper Initiative um, as we speak. Atlanta was last week. Kind of just give everybody an update. How did Atlanta go relative to reset expectations? I don't think it's fair to compare any market this year to previous years. So if somebody's upset with me for not comparing tough luck, um, <laughs> these are these are unparalleled times. We have to judge based on new criteria of how the world is operating now. So based on how you kind of reset your expectations, how did it feel like Atlanta went this week? Um, you know, it it felt great. It's like today is actually our last day. Um, and I anticipate we'll continue to see uh, showrooms conducting appointments in the next couple of days probably i i think it was just sort of expanded beyond our published dates because you know buyers needed to come in a time frame that that felt good to them you know a time frame where they they feel they'd be safe and comfortable from our perspective it was um it was great um and when i say that it was nothing like a normal market uh we we decided after doing extensive research and, you know, speaking with our trade show exhibitors uh, not to produce the temporary trade show pipe and drape booth uh, component of the market. Um, we just did not feel that we knew or were comfortable keeping that kind of a, a format safe. Um, it tends not to be as appointment driven. It's, it's very much about walk by traffic. Uh, the, the booths are not contained, um, and uh, we we just didn't feel that we could necessarily do it justice, and so we felt it was prudent to 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 cancel that that portion of the market. We had at seventy five percent of our permanent showrooms that opened for the Atlanta market. Uh, we did not penalize those that elected not to open. We felt it was a really um, kind of specific and per, almost personal decision for those companies that, that didn't open. And, you know, some of them did it because they're, they were based in states where they'd have to quarantine all their folks coming back out of the state of Georgia, and, and that just wasn't feasible for them. Others just didn't feel that um, that they were comfortable or could keep their, their staff comfortable. And we didn't we wanted to provide optionality at this market. Um, for those that wanted to attend and for those that wanted to open, we wanted to create a safe and productive environment. And I think we succeeded at doing that. Um, I think probably the best barometer of that is uh, a lot of the social media that has been going on in the last couple of days and feedback that, that our customers have been posting, which is 
you know, if you can still get down to Atlanta market and get your credentials in, I felt safe. There was tons of room provided in the registration areas to safely distance. The, you know, the masks were required and everybody was out there making sure that that happened. And if you can get down here, there are tons of people that are open and great resources to see. And so, you know, I think every showroom that opened, they really brought their A game. They, um, they, they merchandised beautifully. They brought in new product. It was just like a normal market from that perspective. Um, and I will say the, the vendors that opened up worked their tails off to get their customers there. I mean, we, we also worked really hard to do that. But I think in this particular instance, um, vendors connecting directly with their customers and setting appointments and helping them to feel comfortable was, was an, important, an important piece. Look, I think our goal was to give those that wanted to transact the opportunity to do so, to get through it without any health or safety issues, and we did that successfully, um, and really also to kind of put a toe in the water and make sure that we could do it, because uh, we're going to have to do it again. You know, we've got another apparel market coming up in October, we've got a bridal market in September, and then, you know, we've got High Point in October. Um, and we want to make sure that that we're prepared for those markets and and able to pull them off equally as successfully. Um, yeah, I think the our attendance was down about eighty percent. Um, our store count was down about seventy five percent. I think what's been interesting to me is that a lot of customers I've spoken to said that you know some of their order sizes were even with last year or even up over last year. They saw a lot of new accounts. Um, that they wouldn't, that they didn't know, or that they wouldn't normally see. Um, so from from where we sit, I think we're breathing a huge sigh of relief. Quite honestly, um, it it was it was a great success. Um, yeah, you know, I think we have some people making different decisions about the Las Vegas market uh, coming up in another two weeks, uh, as in terms of whether or not they'll open there. We have some. Some showrooms that were thinking of not opening for Vegas, and now having been through Atlanta, they're they, they're changing their minds and they're gonna they're gonna open up for Vegas. So, um, so I think we feel great. <laughs> well, one of the things that that we heard in talking to people, um, and it it kind of parallels the stories that we've been hearing at retail, is that the conversion rates, right? The people who are coming yeah. are coming with real intent, right? Nobody's coming yeah. in and kicking the tires. They're, no, they're nobody. coming in purposefully if they're making the time, the effort. They're coming into place in order. So I think yes. from that level, at least what we've heard from the those who were open there and that we talked with, um, their orders have been terrific. Yeah, the orders have been terrific. I think I think there are tenants that were hoping to get walk-by traffic. Um, there may be some disappointment there because I just don't think that's how buyers were approaching the market. They did, to your point, you could see it. You could see it when they arrived. They had a they had their market planners on the app or they had a list or they, they had things marked in a directory. I mean, they were, they knew where they were going and they, uh, they were hyper-focused um, and they came to buy and they did it and, and they kind of, and that was that. Um, but I think a really great first step toward recovery, you know, there's a tremendous amount of work going on digitally now, but I think there still is, um, I don't know, the importance of face-to-face -face can't be, can't be overlooked in any way. Uh, it was interesting too, though, to see, and I don't know if you saw this, but there were um, many vendors that were conducting kind of um, FaceTime appointments and Zoom appointments with buyers that weren't physically there. 
but wanted them to see the product in a showroom setting um, and wanted them to be serviced by their rep. And um, so again, it's still face-to-face um, in, some, in a way, um, but digitally enabled. So that we thought was a really interesting hybrid. And I think we'll see more of that over the course of the next kind of six to, to nine months for sure. It certainly looks like the the way that people approach markets, and we've, we're starting to see this even for High Point. I mean, we have a, a record number of people who say they're going to open for pre-market. Yes. Uh, yes. And I, I, I'm curious. We've also started to see some people who um, have talked about extending their market windows, right? They're, yes. I mean, you've probably, I know you're in conversation with these people. Some of them are IMC tenants. I know you are aware of what the trade press writes. Um, what do you think about that idea of extending the market window and saying, well, we'll be open whether it's every month or we'll make appointments all year round? Do you think that that's a temporary kind of a thing or do you think that might have some legs to it? I think it might have some legs. I think there are a couple of things happening that we could see having sort of a long-term impact on, on our industry and our business and, and a positive one at that. And this is one of them. I think. Um, you know, there's been sort of this crazy, very energetic and lively FOMO, right, that has existed around market, fear of missing out, where everybody wants to be there on the first day. And, you know, everybody wants to be in the same showrooms at the same time. And, and, and it's great, but it's electric. And it's, it's kind of been the hallmark of these markets for a number of years. But I think now um, people, you know, people don't want to be in crowded spaces. And Number one. Number two, I think the cadence of buying is going to shift a little bit. Um, this happened after the, the Great Recession in 2008, too. You know, people went from buying giant chunks of inventory every, you know, five to four to six months to buying, you know, sh- more shallow levels of inventory with greater frequency. Um, and, and I think we're going to see the same thing happen. And I think, you know, activating showrooms year round is going to be really important for people. I'm not sure that will commit. I, I'm not sure that will uh, translate into like robust daily traffic necessarily, but I think it might mean we'll see sort of different events, you know, that maybe are focused seasonally or are focused on certain verticals or certain categories within the, the broader umbrella. Um, and I think it's incumbent on us to do re- our own research um, and work with our vendors and, and with our buyers to understand, you know, when those those opportunities should occur throughout the course of the year. And then what, what does market look like? I mean, High Point used to be a really long market. <laughs> it used to be a, a full, you know, a really full two weeks. Um, and it's hard. It's hard for vendors to support that, particularly if it's not their, their you know, that's not their back office necessarily. But, but I think it is so important right now for us as market organizers and for our customers as tenants um, and exhibitors to service buyers where and when and how they want to be serviced. Um, so we'll 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 see. Um, but I think you know we we have got to be agile in all of this, and we've got to not try to force force the industry to return exactly to the original model we've just i think we have to see where this leads us and it's really the retail 
the retailers and the buyers and the designers that are gonna that are gonna have to lead this next six months and help us determine how to service them best. I've I've heard people say that for years, particularly in the trade show business. If the retailers went to the North Pole, then the show would be in the there North Pole. There would be a show there. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, I think we've given it a lot of lip service, um, but I think now we really, we really need to, we really need to pay attention. We really need to listen, and we really need to engage them, and we really need to understand their challenges, their needs, and what's going to help them recover. I mean, really recover. I'm curious how this impacts how you go to market. I think people sometimes. Um, I mean, people think all kinds of things about IMC, right? People get the IMC. Well, I mean that they get IMC confused with High Point Market Authority sometimes. Yeah. And I've I've yeah. had this conversation with Tom Connolly. Um, they also <laughs> they also sometimes think that you're just in the real estate business, but it's it's yeah. so much more complex than that. And you have made it even more complex with you know some of the other things that you have been doing with the new IMCDI initiative. So how does this evolution of markets that we're seeing now play into the evolution of what you do and how you have to adapt your strategy. Yeah. It can't be. I mean, it's not like, oh, yeah, we'll just do this, right? It's not quite that simple. No, well, it really calls our bluff. You know, I mean, we've been saying for years that we are not in the business of real estate. I mean, the business of real estate, normally the value of real estate is driven by location and, um, you know, do you have a view? Do you have, you know, with this, the size of it, the, the, you know, the, how it's constructed, um, <laughs> you know, look at our properties. My goodness, none of them have windows. They're, you know, <laughs> in high point, some of them are over a hundred years old and <laughs> won't even get into what that entails. Right. It, it has, the value of our real estate has to do with what happens within our buildings. Um, and it's really, it is about bringing buyers and sellers together and facilitating commerce. And so when I say this is this whole pandemic is calling our bluff, like we got to put our, our money where our mouth is. So are we really willing to service, to, to focus our efforts and our business on bringing buyers and sellers together and supporting that commerce whenever and however and wherever it needs to happen? And I think that's, that's what we've spent, you know, we had, we'd already started down that road a couple of years ago, investigating digital because digital uh, transactions and B2B commerce were really beginning to grow. Um, and this just accelerated that. I mean, we, we, as you know, you know, we acquired two, two companies in the sales automation software space in January, Barrows and, and RepZio. And we had a nice leisurely plan to, <laughs> <laughs> to combine their their suites of products and um and you know and, and develop them further and add features and functionality and develop a marketplace and now that all got compressed because of course there's a huge need for it so you know a couple of things have happened we've we've rolled out platforms that we we maybe were going to sideline a little bit because they were older but we needed solutions to offer our customers three, four months ago. And so we brought out, you know, our catalog connection program and we, we got people loaded back on Shabzio and, um, and those even in their, you know, their older technologies, but boy, they really, they fit the bill for the last four months for sure. And they've been, you know, life-saving for those that have been on them really, really helpful. Um, and then we've scaled up tremendously to, 
to take those technologies to the next level and to launch a full suite, uh, the Juniper suite of B2B web and data services and sales automation and CRM. And then, of course, we'll have a, a multi-line digital marketplace as part of that. And I think where we see this going is a buyer should not be able, should not need to distinguish between our physical and our digital buying opportunities. They should be able to transact with the vendors um, within the IMC ecosystem in a frictionless way. So whether they're making a purchase at a market or through their regional sales rep or uh, on their own proprietary B2B website or through our multi-line marketplace, they should have, that should be a seamless opportunity where they load their data once and um, it populates all of those different platforms, you know, a physical show directory, a, you know, a, an online market planning directory, a marketplace and, and a digital B2B web uh, platform. And then they should have a universal view of all of the business that we've been able to drive to them across all of those channels. I mean, we have so many buyers that come to our websites and engage with our vendors digitally and never come to a market and never come to a market. Um, and then we have so many buyers that physically come to markets and, you know, never go to a digital opportunity. We need to, to create, we need to open all that up. We need to crack all that open and we need to drive that engagement across, you know, all of the, all of the platforms and all of the channels. And that'll ultimately drive a lot more business. So it's, it's an exciting time for us. It's challenging because it's requiring a lot of people to think about things really differently. Um, but I think if we can get it right, the digital efforts will strengthen the physical markets, and the physical markets will drive engagement to the digital efforts. And, uh, so it should, it should be, should be a win-win for real. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Trisha again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now, let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. It's interesting how much of what you're talking about mirrors the retailer's journey today. When you talk yeah. about creating the seamless experience, when you talk about some people who will only shop online, some people who will only shop physically, um, it, it's remarkable the parallels between what you are having to model and what you're having to go through and what retailers are being advised yeah. to do yes. in, in the current market space. Yeah, and I think what retailers are finding particularly in the last six months, and I think we will see this happen too, is that the day the day will come when everybody is transacting on all channels. Maybe the percentages will be a little bit different, um, but there won't be anyone that only transacts in one way. You know, there won't be probably many consumers that only transact physically or only transact digitally. And the same will probably hold true for B two B. It's a very different experience, um, and I think you know a digital buying experience feels very very kind of transactional, right? Where a face-to-face, -face, whether you're a consumer in a store or whether you're a retailer at a market, the face-to-face -face is, um, there's a, it, it's collaborative. Um, it's collaborative and, and it, as a result, it, it generally drives up the average sale, you know? 
I'm always going to spend more when I'm physically in a store um, than I would online. And I think, you know, most buyers working face to face with a rep in their showroom or in a exhibitor booth, their average order size is going to go up too. And I mean, you know, we're, we're still, we're not in commoditized industries, you know, furniture is, it's a fashion industry. Gift is, is trend driven. Um, and so, you know, every chair is not, all chairs are not equal. (laughs) All all fabrics are not equal, you know, all candles are not equal. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's important. And, and we're kind of in a very people oriented business. You know, we have a lot of influencers in our business. You want to know what, what showrooms designers are looking at. You want to know what they're following on their blogs. You want to know what they're specifying. Um, they matter. They're tastemakers. Um, so I, you know, I think all of that is a nod toward, you know, continuing to create important community. I'd like to kind of take something that you talked a little bit about earlier and view it through the lens of your career because you know, I know some people only know you through IMC, but before IMC, you've been in the trade show business for years. A long time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there is an element, you know, we sometimes distinguish, right, between a trade show, which, as you earlier referred, kind of pipe and drape, and a market which usually has a a permanent physical show. But there is an element in the trade show business of driving traffic, of bringing people to a place that has a lot of value in the market environment. And um, I'd like to, if you can, talk about some of the things that you learned early in your career. For folks who don't know, if you want to tell them about your George Little management days, you sure. and I actually met during the days of the Gourmet Show. For folks who don't That's know, right. it, was, it was a very large, very significant show um, that was held most often in San Francisco. It was started out with Gourmet Foods and other gourmet housewares and grew to be, um, for those who know the houseware show, like a second houseware show, very, very significant. Um, and I'm sure that there are some lessons. So are there some can you talk about how that experience helps inform what you do at IMC? Yeah, absolutely. Um, to to quantify it, I was I was in the trade show industry for twenty years before I joined IMC. So, um, and I've been with IMC uh, now for uh, almost nine years. So, a pretty good chunk of my time was in the trade show business. And um, I worked for a company that was called George Little Management and. When I joined them, they were, uh, they owned and operated about 20 shows across the U.S., predominantly regional gift shows, the largest of them being in, in New York, um, but also some vertical shows like the Gourmet Show. Um, and then in the time that I was there, initially, I worked closely. I worked for the, I reported to the same uh, gentleman, the whole time I was there, Alan Steele, who I know you know well. Absolutely. Um, he's now the CEO of the Javits Center. And, you know, Alan was was a creator. Um, and so it was a really exciting time. We essentially spent most of our time trying to identify new show opportunities. So where we saw growth and trend in a cross-category gift and home market, where we saw that growing and where we saw interest levels expanding, we would launch a, a vertical market to to support it at a different time of year. So, you know, over the first couple of years, we launched shows in the textiles industry, um, the finished home textiles industry, in the personal care industry. We launched the first really 
um, significant personal care show then called Extracts. Um, we launched more regional gift shows around the country. Um, we just, we, we did a lot on, at its peak, the, the company was running 40 shows around the country, um, which is a lot of, a lot of trade shows. I think what was the lessons learned in the trade show industry, um, were, we learned tremendous agility, um, and we learned really to, to watch and follow, um, trend and, you had the opportunity because our exhibitors were under contract just show to show. You had the opportunity to keep that next show really fresh. Um, you could, you know, kind of work with the ebb and flow of the industry. So when collectibles were really big, we had a really big collectibles area. And when those kind of went out of fashion and jewelry became the gift of the day, um, you know, we were able to expand that. And so, you know, kind of like a bellows, you, you, it was a living, breathing thing, these shows. And, and I think that was a big part of the excitement is that buyers knew they would come and they would see what was new. They would see what was trending. Um, there was an element of surprise always to it. Um, and, and it was only open for a certain number of days. So there was, there was newness and excitement and then there was urgency. Um, and so, you know, that level of new and fresh um is really important in the permanent market industry as well so the trade show components of our shows um it's where you see new and upcoming it's where you see artisanal product it's where you you see things you know tiny companies with maybe a very low skew count but they're doing things really really differently um and and that's exciting for buyers uh and it, it helps them keep their keep their stores strong so, you know, the lessons that I brought, I think, are how do we create urgency, how to create vibrancy, um, and how to drive newness and and alert buyers to newness at a market. Um, and I think uh, a lot of that comes through the trade show, trade show presentation, and a lot of it comes through kind of long-term partnerships with our permanent showroom vendors. And that's something that was new for me. You know, we didn't have these long-term contracts, and so... You know, you had relationships with your exhibitors, certainly. Um, but when a when a company signs a, a four or five or six year lease on a space um, in a market, they're making significant investments. They're building out those showrooms. I mean, it's incredible what they do. Um, you know, you, you look at some of the showrooms in High Point, and uh, they're really, really they're like homes. It's they're like mini show houses, honestly. And that level of investment is is really impressive. And and so we work hard with our vendors to to really support their efforts, um, to get their stories out, to identify buyers that they need to see that they're not seeing, to connect with their most important buyers and and try to create better experiences for them. And these are long term collaborative partnerships that that really, I think, are the hallmark of, of the permanent showroom model. Um, and that's kind of a, a lesson I've learned in the last nine years is, is just how to, be, how to be a better partner. Um, and, and that's been exciting. But, yeah, I mean, I think in this new environment, creating that kind of trade show urgency in a way that feels safe and manageable is, is going to be one of, our, one of our biggest kind of six to 12-month challenges. But I think it's, it's important for the markets and important for us to, to try to find a way to do that. The other thing about that model, um, I would think, 
is it requires a certain level of responsiveness. When people are up, re-upping year to year, and I, I reflect, for example, in Dale Carnegie, early in his career, he, he got his training teaching at the YMCA. And if students came back, he got paid. If they didn't come back, he didn't get paid. So he learned very quickly how to be enticing enough, how to be engaging enough to make people come back. And if you're in the trade show business where if it's a successful show, people come back. If it's not, if you treat them well, they come back. If you don't, they don't. Um, I would think that that, that level of responsiveness, you know, kind of growing up in that kind of environment would, would shape how you approach things as well. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's, we were taught at George Little Management that when the show is going really, really well, you need to be out on the floor as much as you possibly can talking to customers. When the show is going really, really badly, you need to be out there more. Um, and so, you know, we had some shows that didn't go so well over the years. And But if you were out there and open and honest and communicating and listening, um, you know, sometimes some good conversations and some commitments from exhibitors um, helped you to, to put on a better show next time around. Um, I mean, it's just, it's got to be a dialogue. It, it, it's got to be a dialogue. Um, and it's got to be, there's got to be honesty. There's got to be transparency. I mean, I did a lot of, I've done a lot of sales over the course of the last 27 years. And um, I just, I think sales today are, are based on trust. Um, and maybe they always have been, but they, they feel even more so now. There's just so much more risk in business today for all of us. Um, and I think, you know, long-term partnerships, successful long-term partnerships, with lead, which lead to sales, they're the backbone of sales. And they're, they're predicated on, on communication and trust and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you get it wrong, you got to own that. And uh, I, think, I think customers really respect that. Absolutely. I, I, I'd like to go back even farther than 27 years. Um, <laughs> okay. So how did you get into, and I'm going to be honest, I, I did stalk your LinkedIn page. I noticed you're fluent in French. Your, <laughs> your, your schooling does not say anywhere on it. I aspired yeah. to be in the trade show business. I understand this as well. My degree is in history. I never set out to be a trade journalist. Didn't even know that career existed. I'm curious, how did you find your way into the trade show business? Um, well, sort of interesting. Um, I went to a small liberal arts college in upstate New York called Hamilton College. Um, and I was an English major, English-French double major. Um, and my goal really was to write um, either fiction or, or go into journalism, one of the two. Um, I had a part-time job as a student working in the development office at Hamilton, and I, they offered me a full-time position writing grant proposals, and I thought, oh, I'll kind of hone my, my writing skills doing that. So I wrote grant proposals for a number of years um, for various foundations and you know, support for the science department and whatever. Um, and in that time, got to know um, a former graduate of Hamilton. Um, or a graduate of Hamilton who was on the board. His name was uh, Jeff Little. <laughs> oh. And, uh, <laughs> and um, so when I moved back to New York, which is where I was born and raised, I'm from Manhattan, um, and I, I, you know, I was looking to continue grant writing for a period of time before I was going to maybe go back to journalism school. Um, 
and I just, I, Jeff said, meet me for lunch. And he said, you know, we have a publication. I don't, you probably remember this bill, but GLM had a publication called the gift reporter. I do remember that. Said, yeah. And he said, and we need, you know, an, an assistant editor. And I said, that is perfect. You know, I sure that, that gets, starts me into journalism before I even go back to school and so on and so forth. So fine. I started three weeks later and the day I arrived, um, or the day before I arrived, he called me and he said, bad news. We decided to fold gift reporter. <laughs> Good news. I got a guy, um, that runs all our marketing and new business development and he really needs help. Would you help him? And I said, well, I don't know anything about marketing or new business development. And he said, well, just show up. I think, I think you'll find it interesting. Um, so I showed up and reported to Alan and <laughs> so it was really, I'd love to call it a, a career path, but it, it was not. I mean, I, it's, it's even today, it's amazing how few people know that the kind of business to business trade show industry exists. It's a massive industry, but a lot of people just have never, have never heard of it. Um, so it's complete happenstance. So someday when this is all over, I think I'll, I'll write a book about the, the trade show industry <laughs> or a screenplay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, wait until your career no longer depends on it, right? It's one of those, <laughs> yeah. yeah, run off, tell all the secrets, and then go hide. I mean, I think I had no idea I would stick with it so long, but I think what happened was not so much that I was drawn in by the trade show industry, but the industries that we served, um, not the home and gift industries, were so full of creative people and owner operators of their businesses and the same was true of the independent retailers and the designers and it was just these industries had such depth of character um and so much creative spirit and so much incredible entrepreneurialism and i mean i think that's what i'm most attached to um I, honestly that i know it is if, if yeah it's the people if i were to if i if if i am see tomorrow said you know what sorry, move on, please. We've had enough of you. Um, would I go work for another trade show organizer? No, I'd probably just try to stay in the, in the, uh, in the home and gift industries, um, in some other capacity. I really hope they don't do that. But <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not thinking that's, that's too likely at this point, uh, given the, the, the length of time and, and all of the commitment that you've made there, I'm pretty sure that you're, uh, that you're safe there, but yeah. There is something about these industries. I mean, as you yeah, say, the people are. are passionate, they're creative, and it is never the same thing. And that's one of the things I found yeah. in my career. It's never the same thing. Was, no, and they're fighters. I mean, my gosh, you know, you go through whatever, like earthquakes and riots in California, however many years ago those were, and then the, you know, 9-11, and then the crash 2008, and now this. And But you know what? They they fight and they figure it out and they pivot and they reinvent themselves and I mean it's, it's a beautiful thing um, and I'm just it's always amazing to me to be to be part of that be part of that ecosystem and to have that the the opportunity to work with incredible people like that. There's the title for your book: Reinventing Yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Dorothy, I want to thank you for coming on and talking and for sharing not just things about IMC, but for sharing yourself and letting people get to know you a little bit better and um, sharing a little bit about 
your path in the industry. I hope you had as much That's fun great. as I did. I did. It's always fun. It's probably the most fun I've had in, oh, I would say maybe four months. <laughs> <laughs> know the feeling really, really well. <laughs> well, thanks so All much. Right. And uh, look forward to hearing about a, a really well-attended and active Vegas. I hope that's the case. And certainly, I'm sure we're going to see you in October in high school. You sure will. Thanks a lot, Bill. Appreciate it. Bye-bye now. Okay. Bye-bye.